Hey y'all, welcome back to Bulls with the Bard. My name is Cakes, I am your host. Today we are continuing to talk about problem plays with a conversation about measure for measure. Measure for measure is largely considered a problem play because it swings hard between feeling like a tragedy and a comedy, but it's also kind of considered a problem play because the ending is a little tricky to approach when you put it up on stage. To help us kind of piece out how we can successfully produce this play in 2023, I have two guests with me today. First, we have a returning guest to the show, Joan Rob Wilson. Joan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, it's great to be back. Uh, like Michaela said, I'm Joan Rob Wilson. I'm currently tuning in from Binghamton, New York, and I am a fellow actor and Shakespeare enthusiast and also do some voice acting and stand-up comedy somewhere in there. So I'm really excited to talk about this play. Sweet. I'm so excited to have you back, Joan. And our second guest is a new friend of the podcast, Dylan Greenberg. Dylan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Well, thank you, Michaela, for having me. I am so happy to be here. And my name is Dylan. I am an actress and I'm a content creator and a Shakespeare enthusiast as well. Sweet. Oh, and I, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Awesome. It is about damn time we had you on the show, Dylan. I'm very <laughs> excited to have you. Um, so before we dive too far into talking about Measure for Measure, I'm going to get a little high. Dylan, I think, is just chilling with us today. And then Joan's got a cider. But I have my coffee. So oh, hell yeah. I mean, I have something perfect. to drink with you guys. Yes, perfect. Sweet. y'all we are back i'm nice and high jones a little tipsy dylan's rocking the caffeine buzz and we are ready to talk about measure for measure but before we get too deep into talking about the play specifically i think it would be nice to talk about like what is a problem play like what what are we even talking about when we address this play as a problem play do either of the two of you want to start with some thoughts on that? Uh, sure, I can. Um, yeah, I was thinking about it recently uh, because I've always understood like the definition of problem play to be basically that like, you know, it's a play that doesn't necessarily fit easily into the category of tragedy or comedy or, or history, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but recently I was like doing some random Wikipedia research because I was like, I want to find out more about like when when did problem play like become a term and like who who coined that term and like what did they mean by it? And and it turns out there are several other definitions or like um kind of uh attributes of problem plays. Like there was one scholar whose name I can't remember who talked about the problem plays as being centered around some sort of like big relevant moral or ethical dilemma of the time and it's a play that like has a really ambiguous tone and has an ending that's not necessarily fully resolved or an ending that like leaves the audience to have to make a decision of some kind about like oh do we like how this turned out or do we not um 
but also even that point other scholars disagree on as well some people say like oh no the point of the problem plays is that they are very resolute in their you know moral decisions and that you know shakespeare is telling the audience what to think and so it's really interesting to me that the problem plays are so problematic to define in some ways <laughs> and so so yeah i found that interesting yeah, yeah, that's uh as I picked out plays to talk about for this season. Some of them on the list like this play me- or measure for measure is this play. Uh The Winter's Tale, Troilus and Cressida, they are on the list because they were like the most standard and traditional problem plays that fit under that like what what genre are you category? Um, But as I was doing research, I found kind of the same thing that like there are scholars who look at it as sort of like we're addressing this thing that could be seen as sort of problematic for the time. And when I saw that definition, despite the fact that it was given that definition, not in 2023, I was like, okay, well, I feel like that gives me room to include some of these plays like Othello that aren't technically a problem play, but like by 2023 standards, if you're looking at that definition, definitely a problem play. Um, So yeah, I do think it's, I think it's interesting that even just trying to define problem play seems to be a problem. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, do you have anything you want to add to that, Dolan? I mean, I was just going to say a problem play is like, you literally just don't know what genre it is. (laughs) Yeah, you don't know. It's just it's like own thing, basically, Mm -hmm. especially for measure for measure. It's like you don't know. You're you're like, honestly, like kind of confused at the end. You're laughing. You're like, wow, this there's really hard scenes. And I don't know. That's just what I think is when you don't know when you don't know what it is. I agree. I was watching an RSC production of it last night and the thing that kind of struck me about it versus a play like Winter's Tale is like Winter's Tale has that duality but like this play has it continually interweaved like you're constantly going back and forth between the two whereas in Winter's Tale it's like okay we got all the drama out of the way now it's time to laugh um yeah so yeah definitely mm-hmm. that kind of leads me into my first question about this play which is like how do we tackle that how do we handle when a play is like giving us whiplash between these two genres these two feelings and how do we give an audience permission to laugh at a play that has these like heavy points that feel heavy um dylan do you want to start with that sure i guess as an actor i'm not really a director per se on in theater but as an actor you know i've always just been taught to like play the truth of the scene so you know don't try to make it a dramatic moment when these really heavy moments pop up like i think they just have to play you know what their character is feeling in that moment and then you know in the funny lighter moments i think the you just the character just has to play it like that you can't try and and just be like okay now we're going to move on to funny like you just have to be like what is my character feeling in this moment and I think if you can just find those really truthful moments and the audience will join along with you and be able to like laugh and cry with you yeah I agree in the production I watched last night the character of Lucio was played as like super like 
prim and proper, like very clearly obsessed with his class and nothing about what he was playing. I think like the character would think he was funny. He was just like earnestly playing the character, but the whole play, especially by the end, the audience was just kind of like eating out of his hands. So yeah, I definitely agree. I think there's something to like not playing the bit or not playing the tragedy of it, but just like playing the honesty of the moment or the character. Um, Yeah, I think that this play needs really good actors. I think that's probably like a key thing. I mean, obviously a good director as well, but a director can only do so much if the actor isn't a very good actor. But if you have an actor that's really going to like know the intention of the character and the director and actor can go over that you know, together and make a plan, then I think the audience will follow along really well. For sure. Mm -hmm. Joan, do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, definitely. I totally second everything you just said, Dylan, that it's like often often the most effective way to play comedy is to not play it as comedy, is to be super genuine and sincere. And like for your character, it's the most serious thing in the world. But like the heightened stakes of it are what make it funny. (laughs) And with Shakespeare, it's like there are lots of like clown characters and, you know, these kind of stock characters and stock plot lines that we just kind of understand to be like, oh, this is the funny part. Cool. These are the funny guys. And then over there are the serious guys. But often I think it's you you can't get a laugh by trying to be funny (laughs) a lot of the time. But yeah, and I think with a lot of Shakespeare's plays, like the comedy is often, or I should say, with a lot of Shakespeare's tragedies, there are even moments of comedy that are kind of there as a nice little, like, welcome break from the heaviness of it. Like, if you think of, like, the Scottish play and, like, the porter scene, which is just there out of nowhere (laughs) to just give us a little laugh before everyone starts dying. Um, and, And there's also, like, comedies that have moments of seriousness or kind of, like, tension in the endings as well. And so, like, there is lots of kind of genre blending there, but I agree with Measure for Measure, like, it does feel like this whiplash of going back and forth between these very clowny scenes and these very serious scenes. And I feel like Lucio, the character you mentioned, Michaela, is the one who kind of goes between those two the most in some ways. Like, he's a somewhat more comedic character who's directly involved in a lot of the more serious scenes. Whereas a lot of the other more clowny characters are kind of just completely separate from all the more serious action of the play. And so, I don't know, maybe there's something in that that it's like, oh, we're we're given permission to laugh at these guys because they're not involved in what's going on with Isabella. Mm-hmm. But with a character like Lucio, it's like, okay, this is clearly a funny character who we are meant to laugh at at sometimes but also when you think about some of the things he says it's like oh he's part of the problem a thousand percent like he sucks too like i don't know how funny we're supposed to find him necessarily so yeah 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 and interestingly i feel like he is one of the only characters at the end who has like significant consequences for some reason (laughs) any of the ways that he's behaved that's that's something that has always bugged me about the ending I mean there are many things that bug me about the ending which I'm sure we'll be getting to soon but um I was I was once in a production of this play a few years ago and I played Isabella 
And so just in rehearsal, I like wasn't really a part of many of the more like comedic scenes. So I didn't really get to see those until later in the process. But I remember when we were staging the ending and like talking about that last scene, I kept being like, why is the Duke acting like Lucio is the main villain here? Like, like, yeah, he sucks. And he does and says a lot of very questionable things. But like, yeah, why is he the one with the most severe consequences? Yeah, that's an interesting aspect of the ending. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, huh. he was kind of like gossiping. We we saw a little bit worse than <laughs> gossiping in this play, for sure. Yeah, it was like, um, I think the Duke just like didn't like that. It was like, oh, you were talking shit about me. So like, I'm going to make your life hell. But like, Angelo gets a pass. Like, right. Okay. Right. Because the women knelt for it. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my gosh, sorry. Just got hit by the high, y'all. Welcome to Bulls <laughs> with the Bard. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I'll let that transition us into our next question, Great. which is like, how do we tackle some of the characters in this play who are so deeply flawed that it it can almost be hard to connect to them. Like we get Angelo with the hypocrisy, which is an obvious one, but then I think we get less obvious ones with people like Isabella, you know, obviously she is a victim, but when you look at the situation Claudio's in, like, uh, maybe she could, she could give a little bit more with that. Maybe she doesn't have to be quite so cold with him. With Mm -hmm. Claudio, there's, there's a lot of, like, whininess and not wanting to take accountability for the things that he has done. And we will get into the Duke in a little more detail a little bit later because he's his own monster. But Mm. I guess, how do you get an audience to connect with characters who are so deeply flawed in that way. Dylan, do you want to start? Man, I mean, it's like, I don't even know, because it's like, they're so back and forth in this play that it's like, I'm not even sure if I have like an answer for you. I mean, kind of what I said in the first scene, like, I think you just have to like, kind of take it like scene by scene almost, and kind of just think about like how you would handle it in that situation just kind of like scene by scene because I don't know there's days where I'm in a really good mood and I don't know something kind of sets me off and then I could change like that in like two seconds you almost have to think like well yeah they're kind of back and forth but like has there been any time where like I've done this before and yeah like honestly spacing um Isabella sorry like I feel like she just kind of like she is a little bit wishy-washy at times like you know she she really wants to save Claudio she really wants to save her brother and then you know when the time comes she's really mean to her brother like she's she's just like so mean to him and then at the end it's just like she doesn't say anything but you know I guess sometimes when you're put into those situations like really really stressful situations like sometimes you just don't know what to do like sometimes you just kind of break or sometimes you just get really silent and I think you have to like think like have I have I ever done that in the past um and the answer is yeah like I I definitely have and I think you just kind of have to think about it like that um that these are extreme situations that these people are in that's real I feel like when we come and see a story sometimes we want to have that like clear-cut protagonist antagonist situation Mm -hmm. but like that's not 
wife. So yeah, I agree with that. Joan, do you have anything that you want to add? Yeah, definitely. Just kind of like jumping off of that point. I think what makes the characters in this play so interesting and like kind of fun to play around with is that while like on the surface level, we think of like Angelo is the villain, Isabella is the heroine. At the same time, like they are both very flawed people and like they both maybe more Isabella than Angelo, but they both have some thing in them that you can try to sympathize with on some level. And that that's what makes them feel so real is that like, oh, Angelo doesn't know he's a villain. He's not, he's not like, you know, Edmund in King Lear who straight up says, hey, what's up? I'm the villain of this play and I'm going to ruin everyone's life. He like, he thinks he is in the moral right the whole time. And I think one interesting thing that Isabella and Angelo have in common is that they both at the beginning of the play have these incredibly strong convictions that like define their whole lives and personalities but those convictions are then like really harshly challenged and like you know when Angelo starts becoming like you know overcome with lust for Isabella he has like a complete meltdown over it and turns into kind of a monster and Isabella like at the beginning she doesn't have that much sympathy for Claudio but then she's like oh but like I don't want him to die like like I hate that I hate that he's committed this horrible sin but he shouldn't die for it and like I want to save his life but I'm not willing to sin to save his life for sinning and like all these things and so it becomes this like whole messy gray area for both of them of having to reckon with their like moral and religious convictions in a messy world so I I think that gets down to the like root of why we do theater in general like humanity Mm. is messy and isn't like perfect or straightforward in the way that Mm. we might want it to be and in the way that quite frankly like some of these other plays that aren't problem plays do kind of present um like an Mm. an an easier route for presenting life um Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's interesting. I yeah. I guess kind of jumping off from the idea of these flawed characters, let's get into the good old Duke. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so this is a a blunt question, but I mm-hmm. I think it's kind of just like should we just think he's an asshole by the end of this play? Like he he watches. Isabella go through some just like absolutely horrible things he's watching Claudio literally sit and rot in a prison I think is it Julia is that his girlfriend or Juliet Juliet Uh, is Claudio's yeah uh I think she's also in prison during all of this while she's pregnant uh which is a lot um and then like we get to the ending of this play and when the duke comes back as the duke he also like allows isabella to think that she's gonna get arrested and like puts a lot of people through a lot of trauma for an end that doesn't really seem worth it yeah how do we handle (laughs) a character like that who i think shakespeare intended to be presented as a protagonist but in our time is just decidedly not joan do you want to start us off for that yeah sure i guess um the short answer would be i think yeah he is an asshole um and (laughs) and i agree i don't think shakespeare necessarily intended for him to be 
the main asshole because like he has so many like kind of soliloquies and asides with the audience because he's letting the audience in on his plan the whole time so i think we are meant to be kind of on his side of like oh yeah let's see how this all plays out but at the same time when you look at it from anyone else's perspective it's like oh he could have had the power to stop this at any time and just didn't like that really sucks and it (laughs) I think to sort of put it in like a modern context, especially with like how the ending plays out, I think he's kind of like the like nice guy. Like he's the guy who thinks of himself as the good guy and like, oh, I'm an ally to women. Like I am doing all the right things. I'm going to fix my little kingdom. I'm going to punish the bad people. And like, I'm I'm so good. Like why, why don't I get more women? Um, but but when you look at his actual actions, it's like, oh, you have done very little to actually help Isabella throughout this whole play until the last possible second. So it's like, how how much of a nice guy are you, really? Yeah, as I was watching the production I watched last night, they were seemingly trying to give it an air of like, I'm just making this all up as I go. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. really thinking about the fact that I could take off this friar costume and and... What I found interesting about that choice was that, like, it worked for me until a certain point where, like, I was like, oh, I just had a moment where I was, like, less entertained by this production. And then I, like, thought about that for just a second. And I was like, I'm sorry. Are are you actually, like, panicked about whether or not, like... Claudio's head is going to come off in a couple of hours. Are you actually freaking out because you just found out that you just like did this whole plan with a bed trick and then <laughs> it didn't work out and Angelo's still going to kill this person? Like, uh, I don't I don't know if I buy it too much. Like, I just kind of feel like he has to think he's being the hero mm-hmm. in all of this. Yeah. yeah Dylan, yeah. do you have anything you want to add to that? Yes. Well, yes, I think... He's an asshole. Um, <laughs> I, I, I also think though he talks about a lot about how when he is ruling that he's a little more lenient, you know, on his rules. You know, hasn't like enforced some of the things, some of the laws. Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe I don't know. My only thought that gives him a little bit of something, a little, is that maybe he just. Maybe he's gotten a lot of like backlash for that. I mean, you know, maybe he feels a little like frustrated with how he's handling things. And I think he just kind of wanted to take a little break from it, you know, and just kind of stand off to the side and see what happens because he's kind of been frustrated. And um, obviously he goes about it in a really asshole way. But I kind of just think like that he does, you know, felt frustrated and want to go off and just like kind of not enforce things for a while. It's just kind of how I see it. Um, but I, I sense just like maybe like a little bit of frustration in him sometimes, but how he goes about it. Yes. I think it's a very asshole way. That's interesting. I think that does give him like a level of like answering the question. Why don't you stop doing this? It's like, okay, you're a little trapped. Like, yeah, I just think oftentimes like people with privilege like that may not know like they're so used to just being like you know the ruler that he they might he just might not know how to handle this situation so the only way for him to kind of go about it is just kind of like maybe being a little like funny you know and just letting see how things fall is kind of how I see it 
I think I think that's also very real. Like it doesn't necessarily take away the fact that he's an asshole for doing things the way that he does, but like there is definitely a level to like people with extreme privilege not being able to empathize with the level of trauma that other people are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um so not really uh, thinking about how the way that they're operating might might make things worse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. Our last question for today has to do with the ending of this play, which is how do we deal with Isabella's silence in the end? And are we okay with her ending up with the Duke? Mm. yeah Yeah. (laughs) uh dylan do you want to start us off yeah i mean i kind of think shakespeare sort of did it for a reason just because sometimes it is more interesting to end things you know not give you like a resolution like it just makes you think about like what's going to happen i think he kind of wanted that sort of mystery but i mean i guess if i was in that situation you know she thought that her brother was going to die, you know, and now he's alive. So, you know, maybe she kind of thinks that she kind of has to marry him in order to keep him alive. Like, what if she said no? Like, what if she says no? What is what's going to happen? What's going to happen to her? What's going to happen to, you know, her brother? I mean, like the friar is like, or sorry, the dupe is so like, back and forth and back and forth in this last scene, like, he's all over the place. Um, So maybe she feels like a little scared. And then also sometimes, like I said, you know, when, when you just don't know what to do, sometimes you just freeze. You just, you don't, maybe she just doesn't even know what to do at this point. So she just decides to not speak. I I just feel sorry for her, honestly. I don't think she's being like malicious or any sort of way. I think she's just honestly just really scared and shocked, which is very sad and and how to end something. But it, I, it leaves me wondering what she does when this play ends, you know, like right that moment, like what, what does she say? That's what I'm wondering the whole time. Does she just go off? And is she like unhappy forever? Like that's kind of how it's, it's sad when you think about it. I agree. I think that is kind of the beauty of this ending and how it can be effective. It's like if it if your audience walks out of the theater wondering like what happens next, I I think that that you've probably succeeded. And I think you have to remember that sometimes you're not meant to like know the whole story. Like you're just meant to know from point A to point B. From point A to point B isn't always going to have a resolution. And I think that's sometimes what makes things the most interesting. Definitely, Joan. Do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I agree. I think I think it is definitely a deliberately ambiguous ending because like in in almost every Shakespeare play or definitely the comedies and I think a lot of the tragedies there's always that final scene where all of the plot lines get wrapped up at once and like every character is on stage and usually there's one character who's kind of taking the lead of like and now I will summarize everything that has happened and now let's go dance or something um (laughs) and and so like in a lot of plays, not everybody gets to have like a last word or like a, and here's how I feel about that moment. Um, but Isabella, like one of her like strongest defining attributes is how eloquent and persuasive and like well-spoken she is. And so the idea that the Duke proposes to her and she says nothing, like 
to me, it feels like that cannot be an accident. And I feel like we are meant to see that that is, there must be a reason why she doesn't have a response to it. And it's one of those things where like every production has to kind of make a choice of like, okay, are we going to decide that she's happy about this? Are we going to decide that she's sad or angry or scared? Or are we going to decide that she doesn't know how she feels? And maybe we we don't know how we feel about it. And I kind of love that, but it is just one of those things that like you have to make a choice about it. And I remember when when I was in the show, I talked with the director and with the actor playing the Duke, and we really searched for like, okay, is there anything in the text that can be a justification for like the two of them falling in love necessarily? And it's like, not really. Or like there may there might be a case to be made for the Duke falling in love with Isabella but not really anything the other way around. Like, I think he really grows to admire her and see that like, she's such a good person that it's totally understandable. He would propose to her at the end, but we don't really see much reciprocation from her mostly because she doesn't know who he is for most of the play. And, and also she's so busy being traumatized by all these other things going on. And so, yeah, it's, it's hard to find a reality in which she's like, Oh yay, I get to marry the Duke. Um, (laughs) yeah 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 i agree i think i have seen some interesting choices in terms of having her end up with him the production i watched last night the reason she stayed silent was because like he essentially proposed to her and immediately after he did like someone like let off like a firework type thing and like people were applauding and like just celebrating the fact that a duke had just like proposed to somebody and nobody gave a shit about what her answer was like she didn't there was not there was not a second to breathe after he (laughs) asked the question before people were celebrating the fact that they were getting engaged and then they made a very interesting physical choice with like the last frame of the play which was just kind of isabella in the same physical, like uncomfortable, seemingly trapped position she was in when Angela was literally physically on her, trapping her in that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh wow, okay. Like it, it's a it's a circle, nothing got better. Like that's that made a statement. That's very interesting. Um, I feel like there are lots of different ways you can explore her ending up with him, but Mm -hmm. I don't feel great about the one where she's happy about it. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, you know, there are so many other elements of the ending that are so uncomfy. Like, you know, the fact that I think her last words that she says in the play are her defending Angelo. And it's like, oh, I don't feel great about that. (laughs) And like, I remember as an actor, like that was the hardest thing to try and like, find a justification for for myself I was like how do I wrap my brain around her deciding to actually like plead for his life and also like with Mariana like she's she feels like such a minor character because she's has so little stage time but she's involved in this massive like trick that they pull on him which again like thinking about you know the sort of older definition of problem play and the newer definitions of problem play it's like in Shakespeare's day, the bed trick where you like trick someone into sleeping with someone without them knowing who it is was like, oh yeah, that's that's a thing we do in all of our comedies and it's cool. It's fine. It solves all our problems. But I feel like to a modern audience who watches that 
it's like oh that is that is a full-on sexual assault and and all of the people we're supposed to sympathize with are complicit in it and also mariana is someone who we are really supposed to sympathize with because she's in this really horrible position but she desperately wants to marry angelo and i just want to be like girl run (laughs) like don't do it (laughs) and so yeah there's there's so much messy stuff with the ending of this play that's just hard to wrap your head around yeah uh when i was going over the questions i sent y'all this morning i was like oh shoot i probably should have included something about the bed trick and then i was like (laughs) you know what it's gonna come up we're gonna talk about the bed (laughs) trick whether i prepped them for it or not so we we can't not talk about it (laughs) yes yes i mean that is definitely another huge reason why this is on the problem playlist along with its good old friend all's well that ends well mm-hmm. um yeah yeah so i guess before we wrap up do y'all dylan did i just ask you about that question you did yes i am okay first. <laughs> okay good <laughs> we're killing it with the high stuff today y'all i do i do agree <laughs> that poor mariana you know just like why would she yeah why does she like him so much it's it's but I mean I guess some people will do that though like even today it's like do you have that girlfriend that's really really wants to get back together with her boyfriend it's like well no he yells at you all the time he's toxic like why do you want to be with him and they'll just be like I don't know because I love him you know what I mean like this happens all the time Mm -hmm. it's true it's true I as I was thinking about Mariana leading up to this that's kind of exactly what I was thinking like she is a problematic character but when you like zoom out and look at all the characters in this play like she's one of the least Uh problematic (laughs) in terms of like what she wants Mm -hmm. it's it's it is real I think we all do have like the girlfriend who constantly forgives the asshole Mm-hmm. Before we wrap up, do either of you have finishing thoughts about Measure for Measure? It's it's such an interesting play to talk about. And like, you know, I, I love that you're doing this whole series on the problem plays because so many of them are plays that don't get done very often. Or when they do get produced, usually it's like, sometimes it's in response to like a big thing that happens in the world. And I feel like we started seeing a lot of productions of Measure for Measure in response to the Me Too movement because it was like, oh boy, this is one of the Shakespeare plays that most directly addresses like sexual assault and sexual harassment. And so like there was like a little uptick in Measure for Measure productions all of a sudden. And it is one of those plays where it's like when you produce it or see it or star in it, you have to really think about like, what does this play mean in 2023 and like how do we reckon with all of these really messy questions but but that's kind of what makes it so fun to do and so like powerful in some ways is because like the messy plays that have these really complicated characters and really ambiguous situations can feel the most real in a lot of ways i agree she had a bit of a moment like during the me too movement and then Mm -hmm. i feel like people realized that this is a difficult play to produce and it fizzled out a little bit and Mm -hmm. I think that's a bummer because Mm -hmm. in the same way like 
the Me Too movement has kind of fizzled out a little bit. We're not talking about exactly. those things as much. I don't think people are getting held accountable as much because people realized how difficult it is to hold people accountable and have it actually mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. And so I think now there may not be any better time to produce yeah. this play. Mm -hmm. For sure. Awesome. I guess with that, we can wrap up. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. It was lovely to have you both in a room-ish together for the first time since we were Yay. all apprentices at Commonwealth Shakespeare Company. Yeah. Oh my gosh. that's That was like a lifetime ago. I know. <laughs> Which is why it doesn't feel like it's actually been that long, but like the pandemic makes things long oh, yeah. forever like, ago we, we were different people then like yeah. what what happened actually funny story i filled out my paperwork to join equity this week Yay. and i had to fill out like the day that i became equity so i had to go back into <laughs> the archives and find out those dates um you know when we became and that was from the commonwealth shakespeare company so full circle moment right wow. now <laughs> well Love congratulations it. on that and also once again congratulations to you joan on uh going to mary baldwin to get your masters that is super exciting thank you uh, i'm so excited i am for you Yes. I am so delighted to have both of you on the show. I hope to have you both again many a time. I love both of you. Until next time, we will see y'all. Bye. 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 If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Joan, Dylan, and Bulls with the Bard at the handles either on your screen or in the description. If you're new to the podcast, or if you just haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps Bulls with the Bard to grow. And tune in next week as we talk to new friends of the podcast, Shaq and Navi, about Othello in the context of the problem plays. Until then, bye y'all. A thousand, thousand sides to save, oh, lay me where sad true lover. Never find my grave to weep there.